Well, are you ready for a busy week? It gets off to a quiet start today, but lots of central banks this week, lots of key numbers, lots of speculation. It's not a quiet rundown to Christmas, that's for sure. And Friday saw a bit more risk-off mood in the United States. Equities well down. Why? Because producer prices were higher than expected. So does that mean inflation isn't slowing as fast as the Fed would like to see? And could the CPI number this week also be a nasty surprise? And yet we've got the Wall Street Journal today reporting that many investors are basing decisions on there being a softer landing than expected. So go figure. It's Monday, the 12th of December, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, there wasn't a lot of US dollar movement on Friday. Over the last week, the DXY index only gained about 0.3%. The Aussie dollar, meanwhile, climbed 0.4% on Friday alone, just shy of 68 US cents. But that's pretty much where it was a week ago as well. So it's been uh, up and down last week, like a lot of things, in fact. The same for bond yields, falling, then rising again. So 10-year treasuries rose nine basis points over the week, but there was a fall of 16 basis points in the middle of the week, and then it finished the week at 3.58%. Aussie 10 years, meanwhile, saw their year Yields falling, losing almost 10 basis points to finish at 3.30%. And US shares, well, they had a bit of a bounce last week, but it didn't last long. Friday, they were back in retreat with a 0.9% fall in the Dow and a 0.7% drop in the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Over the week, the NASDAQ was down almost 4%, while European equities on Friday generally up, going the other way. We've got a half percent rise in the Eurostoxx 50, for example, and a three-quarter percent rise in the DAX. And oil headed down last week, WTI from about $80 down to $71. Brent losing almost $10 over the week, down to just over $76 a barrel. Actually, it got down to $75 almost at uh, one point on Friday. So we've got bond yields rising, oil down, equities down, the English football team out. <laughs> there was no good news last week, was there? Although, strangely, the Aussie dollar did manage to climb against all of that, mainly because, of course, the, the US dollar uh, is also down. So we'll look at that today. But what do we make out of all of that? At the start of a busy week, we've got US inflation tomorrow. We've got UK inflation the day after. We've got the FOMC decision on Thursday, Australia time. Also, the ECB and the Bank of England all back to back. It's not a quiet run down to Christmas, is it? So let's get the lay of the land uh, with NAB's Tapa Strickland in Sydney. I tell you, it's, uh, it is a, uh, it, it's a busy week week. But uh, I tell you, after a very quiet week last week, wasn't it? But this week, full on. Uh, Good morning, Phil. Yes, a very quiet week last week, but some fairly hefty risk events coming up. And as you mentioned, the FOMC is on Wednesday, which is uh, 6 a.m. Thursday, Sydney time. And then within the same 24 hours, we get the ECB, we get the Bank of England, we get the Swiss National Bank, and we get the Norges Bank all meeting. Um, Yes, likely to see some still some pretty hefty rate rises out of all those banks. And uh, our expectation is for the Fed, uh, they're going to be hiking rates by 50 basis points, ECB by 50 basis points, and the Bank of England by 50 basis points. But thereafter, things become a little bit more murky in terms of market pricing. Uh, when you look at just the number of rate hikes priced into next year, you've got more rate hikes being priced um, for the ECB and the BOE than you do for the Fed in terms of hiking. Um, And so you're likely to see a bit of monetary policy divergence in that respect as the Fed is expected to pull back a little bit in terms of the pace of hikes while the ECB and and the BOE is expected to to continue to hike in 23. So does that mean this, you know, this uh, ever rising US dollar, we're going to see that slow down then as we start to see that, uh, that pull back in the, you know, in the comparative rise of of, uh, of, of interest rates, it, it, it does look like the US dollar has um, 
peaked in this cycle. I guess the one, the, the one uncertainty really here, though, is uh, what happens with U.S. equities and what happens to general risk sentiment in the short term. Um, if, for whatever mm. reason, uh, wages proves to be more sticky in the U.S. than a lot of people are forecasting, if inflation doesn't fall as fast as the market is pricing, and maybe there was some warning sign that it's not going to be falling as fast as the market is expecting out of the PPI data that we'll cover off in a second, then maybe the U.S. Fed has to keep going in terms of incremental rate hikes. That could obviously put a bit of pressure under U.S. equities. And typically, when you do get those big risk-off environments, when you do get big sell-offs in risk assets, the U.S. dollar does appreciate in that scenario. Right. But we did have on Friday, I mean, we did have a bit of a risk-off, didn't we, in that uh, U.S. equities were down, European um, shares were up. I, I, I don't know why the difference, unless it is because, you know, there's still this great hope of, uh, which seems a little bit premature, perhaps, but, the you know, the reopening of China and perhaps Europe's going to benefit from that more than the U.S. is. Oh, definitely. And when you look at Germany, one of the major trading partners is China. And uh, you're mentioning the Aussie in your intro, and that's one of the reasons why the Aussie has done so well over the past couple of weeks. And just worth noting, there was an FT uh, story out on the weekend saying that China has loosened COVID testing and quarantine rules for transport workers. Um, So that may help ease up some of those supply chain bottlenecks. Uh, And then separately, some of the leading health officials in China uh, are quoted as saying Omicron is comparable to the flu in terms of severity and in terms of mortality. Mm, fancy um, that. So it does we could have told them that. <laughs> <laughs> so it does seem like that that pivot is, is occurring and perhaps is actually occurring a little bit faster than what many mm. people were thinking. I think most people were thinking a more comprehensive pivot wasn't likely until after the winter in March and April. But it does look like uh, that pivot seems to be happening just slightly faster. Um, and so that is encouraging from a global growth point of view. And uh, when you think about the economies most levered towards that, you have to think about Australia, think about Canada, and also think about Germany. Mm. Right. Well, let's yeah, let's look at those PPIs then, because producer prices, uh, it was expected they were going to come down a bit, but they didn't, did they? So 0.3% month on month for November, the core number actually up from 0.1% to 0.4% month on month. So uh, it, it's down year on year, but you've got base effects in, involved in all of that, of course, haven't you? So 0.4% month on month, I would have thought is the number we want to look at. And that's the number the Fed will be looking at, presumably. And that's not good no, news. So it- You are seeing moderation in kind of like a trend sense, but as you're saying, it's just not moderating as fast as what people are expecting. And that year-on-year figure for the core, Mm. excluding food, energy, and trade services, did fall to 4.9% year-on-year from 5.4%, but nowhere near where the market was was expecting there. So that does send some warning signs um, that perhaps – consumer price inflation doesn't fall as fast as what people are thinking. Um, Classically, the PPI has been most correlated with goods inflation, um, and it's still pointing towards some goods disinflation occurring. So that is still likely to be a story going uh, out there. When uh, Chair Powell was speaking a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about splitting up the PCE figures into three components. So one was goods. So that's what the PPI kind of covers off on. Um, one was uh, services excluding rents. And that is most tied up with the labor market. And the other one was in terms of rents. And we are starting to see some rollover in terms of rental growth in the US, particularly in the high frequency Zillow um, rent measures there. So that does provide some assurance that rental growth will slow um, in the second quarter of 2023. But the key uncertainty really comes back to the the labor market. And that payrolls figure that we got uh, the week before last uh, was was still strong. It revised away some of the uh, moderation in average hourly earnings that we did see. Um, So uh, the 
risk here is that you do get stickier services inflation uh, because of the tight labor market. So where do they go? If we get CPI this week and it doesn't, you know, slow down as much as anticipated and it shows there's not a lot going on in terms of, you know, the work that's been done by the Fed, what does the Fed do? Do they say, well, we can't keep on going the way we are? Or do they say, no, we've got to push harder because, you know, we're not seeing it's not working? I mean, I guess the question is, how long do you bang your head against a brick wall uh, and keep on repeating it if it's not if it's not working? Uh, or do they uh, and risk, of course, the, the, of doing, de- you know, real damage to the economy? I, I mean, how do they balance that? It's a very fine balancing act there. But you come back to what is the mandate of the Fed. You come back to uh, what Fed officials have, have been saying. And uh, you go back to um, some of the kind of talk we're talking about earlier on in the year about how Fed officials were quoting Volcker and they're willing to, to, to do a Volcker as in putting the economy into recession in order to get inflationary pressures down. So if inflation doesn't ease, then I think the Fed is willing to continue hiking rates. If that does risk a, a, a recession and whether it's mild or a little bit more d- deeper than that, then I think the Fed is willing to, to do that. So when you actually look at um, market pricing, uh, markets are pricing a terminal Fed funds rate of 4.96% um, and they're still pricing in about 43 basis points where the cuts in the second half of 2023. So one way that Fed officials could push back um, in terms of um, market pricing is to continue to push back on the pricing of cuts there. Uh, and then the other interesting thing is, even though the PPI printed hot, you actually saw implied inflation break-evens fall in the US on Friday. So when you look at the 10-year implied mm. inflation break-even, it fell 3.1 basis points to 2.28%. So um, in this respect, I think markets are viewing the Fed as the Fed will do whatever it takes to get inflation down. Um, and if that requires higher rates, well, then that's the way it's going to be. And when you look at what uh, Bullard said uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was saying that according to his t- Taylor rules, or rules of thumb, the Fed funds rate, appropriate Fed funds rate is probably between 5 to 7%. So that can kind of give you some ballpark if the risks are that uh, inflation continues to, to, to print higher out there. But there are still some good reasons to think that inflation will start to ease, and that's part of the reason why markets are pricing in a uh, peak terminal rate uh, closer towards the lower end of that, um, closer to 5%. Well, yeah, because the uh, the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence uh, Survey was out on Friday as well, and the, the one-year expectations there for, for inflation fell a little bit, didn't they? Uh, yes, that's right. So the one-year expectation fell to 4.6% uh, from 4.9%. I think that's the lowest read since uh, September 2021. Um, so that's encouraging and probably... Uh, most correlated with the rally in equities that we did see in November and also the fall in retail uh, gas prices that we did see. I think they were down 8% in November. But more worryingly is the 5 to 10-year inflation expectation is still sticky around that kind of 3% level, and that's a little bit above its longer and average level. So, um, yes, the short-term inflation expectations are, are easing, but there still is that danger around the kind of longer-term inflation Expectations and that danger remains uh, for as long as uh, inflation remains above the Fed's target. And yet, the lead on the uh, Wall Street Journal website this morning is is saying more investors are now betting on the Fed pulling off a soft landing. So the focus they're saying is on uh, for equities investors is on equities that are going to benefit from a soft landing. So Goldman Sachs is saying there are larger than average positions on shares of industrials, in material, and energy companies. So uh, the market is divided, isn't it? 
Oh, definitely is, is divided. I think part of the money that has flown into in industrials, into cyclicals, was just money that was flowing away from tech, which was coming mm. under pressure because of valuations and earnings. Uh, but there is uh, some people thinking out there that, um, yes, the US economy may go into recession, but it's likely to be a very mild one uh, and it's likely to be a soft landing. And uh, two key reasons for that is just the resilience seen in the labor market today. Uh, and if inflation does starts easy if some of the kind of pandemic uh, pressures in terms of inflation come off then that is uh, a relatively good outcome there and then the other one is just in terms of the savings buffers that households and, and, and businesses have saved up during the pandemic um, that has in- insulated household and business balance sheets uh, throughout this hiking cycle um, so consumers and businesses are in far better shape uh, in a hiking cycle than they had been in many other hiking cycles. And, and when we're looking at inflation uh, locally, uh, so the uh, the government's plans for capping energy, that presumably is going to put a cap on inflation as well. Yes, it should put a bit of downward pressure. And just note that this is a plan and the government is intending to try and get this through Parliament on Thursday relatively quickly. And to get it passed, they do need the Greens to support it and they do need the independent Senator Pocock to support it as well. Um, so broadly speaking, uh, they're looking to cap gas prices at $12 a gigajoule um, and that's down from the average price of $41 a gigajoule this year. They're also planning to cap coal or thermal coal prices at $125 a ton for domestic use and that's down from a peak of around $300 a ton um, and then the other element and this is quite important in terms of inflation is that they're willing to uh, pass on some money in to reduce energy bills for vulnerable households and particularly this would be through reduced bill prices rather than cash handouts so effectively that would probably be treated as a price discount by the ABS when compiling CPI figures so that's something there that may suggest uh, and put uh, some downward pressure on inflation particularly energy inflation in Australia going into next year. Well, uh, today uh, we get the um, the ANZ job ads numbers for Australia. If you didn't, you know, believe the Seek numbers uh, last week, of course we get the employment numbers uh, as well, don't we? Later on in the week for Australia. Oh yes, that's right. And those employment numbers uh, will be fairly important. Um, so we're looking for thirty thousand gain, along with uh, steady unemployment at three point four percent. That's a bit stronger than where the consensus is, which is for seventeen thousand jobs gains. Uh, you'll have to say that with markets. Um, looking for the economy to weaken uh, next year, they're probably willing to discount a stronger print. And there's a lot of talk here, obviously, with the delayed transmission mechanism from when interest rates rise and when they flow on to higher mortgage repayments. And you also have the roll-off of the fixed rate loans next year. So um, we'll be looking at it quite closely, but I think markets are going to be prepared to, um, to, to, to downplay those kind of implications for now. And the other interesting bit is we get the final read on business and consumer confidence for this year. The NAB survey comes out on Tuesday and the Westpac Melbourne mm. Institute survey of consumer sentiment also comes out the, the same day. Again, a very big divergence between what consumers are feeling and what they're actually doing. So when you look at consumer spending, still very, very strong. When you look at consumer confidence, it's it's pretty dire. So it's a busy week, isn't it? Apart from today, a fairly quiet start to the week. I mean, Japan's PPI numbers. And well, we get uh, GDP uh, and industrial production numbers as well for, for the UK as well, uh, ahead of the Bank of England this week. Yes, course. that's right. So when you look at expectations for UK monthly GDP, they're at 0.4% month to month. And the weakness really on the industrial side of the economy and still resilience on the services side. I think for the Bank of England uh, on Thursday, that's going to be a really interesting meeting. Uh, if you recall back in the November NPS, uh, their forecasts were that even assuming constant interest rates at 3%, CPI inflation was projected uh, to be uh, below target in uh, three years' time. And so that was seen as uh, markets are overpricing the Bank of England. So when you look at 
market pricing now, markets are pricing in a terminal rate around 4.6%. So uh, we'll be looking at whether the Bank of England continues to push back on the extent of market pricing, just given where their forecasts were back in November. And you'll love this. The British press over the weekend started talking about uh, backbench dissatisfaction with Rishi Sunak and whether they should uh, push him out because he's been prime minister for a couple of months now. That's way too long for somebody to be holding a, an important position like that, isn't it, in, uh, in UK politics? Uh, <laughs> it's a crazy place. Uh, good to talk. Uh, we'll catch you again soon, Tapas. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. They want to bring back Boris Johnson. <laughs> Can you imagine? And we might as well get John Howard back in Australia as well. And what a shame that Ronald Reagan's dead. We can't bring him back. Uh, what is old is new again, it seems. Um, yeah, or we're just going over old ground again. That's it for today, though, on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>